GMs, have you ever felt like banishing a player to the Astral Sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus? Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Tabaxi, are you frustrated by the lack of milk-based drink options at your local tavern? Then this is the podcast for you. Where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the roll of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments. This is Raw and Order. Dun, dun. Oye, oye, the court is now in session. Welcome to Raw and Order, Anna. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I just wanted to add that the justices, Anna and Joe, are now yes. presiding. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Very, yeah. If you all are many fans, which are zero currently, because this is not even officially a podcast, um, refer to us as Justice Joe and Justice Anna, respectively. Um, yeah. Welcome to Ron Order. Uh, this is a... Uh, a a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons and specifically the rules of the game and where we will address some of the most interesting and controversial, dare I say, um, arguments that go on between players and DMs and just the, the community generally. Um, so I do want to acknowledge we, and by we, I mean I, totally stole this idea <laughs> from a podcast. So if you're listening to this, you probably already know about NADPOD or Not Another D&D Podcast. If you don't, go listen to it. It is phenomenal. Um, uh, but the DM, Brian Murphy, and then players, Emily Axford, Jake Hurwitz, and Caldwell Tanner, um, they do this once in a while sort of like offshoot podcast session on their patreon where they basically act as a court and like answer questions from listeners and it was it was hilarious when i listened to it and it gave me this idea instantly anna and i are both lawyers um and i figured well wouldn't it be fun we could bring in our perspective as lawyers and discuss DD from that perspective because right anna am i right who doesn't love a rules lawyer in DD? I mean, I've always been a big fan of the stickler, you know, they're yeah. just, yeah. it's, it's like, I found my place in the world. That's where I belong. <laughs> and now I get to podcast about it. So that's great. Absolutely. It's 2020. It's 2021, technically. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's coronavirus. Everyone is starting a podcast. Mm -hmm. So why not? Um, if you don't know what D&D is, you probably shouldn't listen to this um, or do because we're just amazing. Right? Well, if you don't know what D&D is, then listen to us and learn and then go and play it because it's go. amazing. Yeah. Anna is Anna is more the more optimistic of the two of us. <laughs> I, I'm a more recent convert, too. So You are. <laughs> and, and from me, I'm the one who converted you. So you're welcome. This is um, true. Yeah, so basically we are going to we would love to hear from you if you have questions or or examples of arguments you've gotten into with your players or um, with your DMs about how the rules work and you want us to answer it, um, you can send us an email. We have an email address and that email address is <laughs> raw and order D and D at gmail.com. Is it is it D A N D D? No, it's D-N-D. D yeah. Because raw and order, believe it or not, is some sort of like holistic foods vendor <laughs> online. And the, the email address, raw and order, uh, was taken already at gmail.com is taken. So we are we thanks. are not them. Okay. Yeah. Joe Joe and I are not holistic. So. No, in any sense <laughs> of the word. We're not organic. We're not gluten free. We're no. we're we're yeah. No. Okay. I'm I'm very pro gluten. So. Yeah, gluten all the way. But hey, if you have celiacs, we still love you. So right. you should still listen to us. <laughs> but none of that, oh, I just have a gluten sensitivity bullshit. I'm not here for that. Already out of the gate. We're real Already fiery over here. Controversy. Controversy. That's how I roll. Okay. Um, 
All right. Well, I figured, Anna, why don't we get started with just maybe talking about ourselves? Because if there's one thing lawyers like to do, it's talk about themselves. So um, I figured we can talk first maybe about how we how we got into D&D and or like maybe like even earlier than that with like fantasy and tabletop games in general. Would you like to start? That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I said yes to this podcast to exclusively talk about myself. So this is a great platform <laughs> for me. Um, I mean, fantasy stuff, obviously, my life is built around Harry Potter. Mm. There isn't a there isn't a day that goes by in my life where something Harry Potter related doesn't happen. Um, For those of you who are listening, (laughs) I am looking at Anna and behind her, there is a picture of Hogwarts on her wall. So in my in my 32 year olds office okay like i am 32 i have a painting of hogwarts in the background of my office so that's where th- we are i'm okay with my life choices 100% acceptable and encouraged absolutely yes uh and as joe mentioned he's the one that suckered me into this i think though that my pull towards D was not so much the fantasy portion of it Mm-hmm. As much as it was my desire to do theater as an adult, like, like 100%, I, yeah. I did so much theater as a kid and everybody looks at you weird when you're like, Hey, I'm a practicing lawyer. That's going to go do community theater now. And <laughs> no one's going to come watch that. Right. So I oh, was like, Oklahoma <laughs> where the winds come. Right? What, what are you do- singing? <laughs> what about? are you doing? <laughs> We're in an office. What's wrong with you? <laughs> So, I mean, you yeah. know, where yeah, was I, I want, gonna, yeah, I want I gonna... all of the, all of the fun of theater minus the memorization of lines yep. and the nerves and the, and the audience. Yeah. That's, and that's D and D. That's D and D. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like never the same, right? Every yeah. single, every single moment is different. Yeah. Uh, no two adventures are alike. No two adventurers are alike. I love that about this game. So yeah, it was, it's a mix of getting to, to feel like a kid again, getting to escape a little bit, uh, getting to do accents and act and flex that theater muscle. It's uh, all of my favorite things wrapped into one. What, what production stands out to you the most that you did when you were like, because you did a lot of theater. Was there one in particular? Uh, yes, I think A Christmas Carol, where I, and it stands out and to me because- And you played Tim, right? <laughs> well, it stands out to me because I have a huge ego, right? And I auditioned for like some like rando, like villager person that yells like, it's Christmas day or something. And they were like, wow, your acting chops are amazing. We're going to make you the, the, the narrator, like who's on stage the whole time and like oh, tells wow. the story. And I was like, yes, this is my calling in life. And then I grew up to be a lawyer. So, <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I think like a lot of, I mean, they say that like theater people are, there's, there's a subset of theater people drawn to law for the performative aspect. So yes. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I, uh, uh, of course was a huge Harry Potter fan. Didn't actually really get into Harry Potter until a little bit later in life because I hate reading and I don't, I know that sounds insane because I love fantasy so much, but I am a really slow reader and I am a super, super, okay. I'm going to say this word and then spell it. Aural person, A U R A L. I think that's how it's spelled. Not oral, aural. So for me, um, music is a huge was a huge part of my life. I played music forever. I went to college originally for music, and I was in a lot of productions as well, but in the pit orchestra. But I also did a little bit of theater. Uh, I we, we did. You can't take it with you in high school. Uh, I was a, a senior, and it was our drama club, and which was just basically a reason for us to hang out and not do anything. Um, yep. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but I played Mr. DePinna. It's like a show about the 1920s and I don't know. Not at all. Happens. But it's like a really famous like uh, 
like it's like a staple of theater like like if you go into theater everyone knows of this show um and so i played this guy who <laughs> is like this like crazy guy who lives in the basement of this family's like p- apartment and it's supposed to be like all these kooky things happen to the family and at one point i'm supposed to come up from the basement in a toga because uh <laughs> because the 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 wife of the family was painting me in a toga and i insisted instead that we change it to me coming up in a salsa dress <laughs> so i had my first drag experience like it was fucking hilarious formative then, years yeah 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 exactly and then um later on in the show i'm supposed to come up again like the police come and get me and i'm supposed to be in the toga again only you know i came up in a dress the first time and so the second time when the police come and get me i'm i'm in a wedding dress for no reason <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious um but of course so like theater right super into theater uh love musicals and i was huge into video games i mean that also is kind of what got me into classical music uh all of the sound awesome soundtracks to video games uh like nobuo amatsu still a huge fan and then there's like movies like star wars and you have john williams and yada 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 all that is to say i didn't play D growing up because no one introduced me to it same is, here yeah I, like i was friends with all the nerds like where were you guys why weren't you telling me about D? I feel like D&D before this sort of D&D renaissance or resurgence or whatever you want to call it in the last like three years, um, D&D was was really viewed as something for like super weird, nerdy people. And like people like us, like we're weird and we're nerdy. (laughs) But but I felt like there was like this other this otherism of people where we would say, oh, but we're not that weird. And then when you actually get into it and you learn more about it and you meet the people who play, you're like, oh, no, 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 that's not it at all. Like, these people are awesome. I I couldn't agree more. I think I had this maybe perception that it was, like, almost antisocial a little Mm -hmm. bit. And then uh, when I started playing, I was like, this is the most social thing I do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Especially now, right? Especially during COVID. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Totally, 100%. Uh, So, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I, I loved board games growing up. I I never played enough of them. My family wasn't really into games too much. Played a lot of video games. But, uh, yeah, I have to say, once I discovered D&D, everything else kind of was like, oh, that's not as much fun as D&D. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. And then, so I started, I've been playing for about a year and a half. And th- two months into playing, I was like, oh, I'm going to DM. That's it. I'm yeah. going to DM. You like, you decided to DM very early in your D and D journey. I right. feel like because I have now been playing, not not quite a year, but maybe like nine months or something, mm-hmm. and I am nowhere close to be to saying to myself, you know what, I'm ready to take on the challenge that <laughs> is fair, being right? a DM. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I was not ready when I started. <laughs> uh, true story: my first session I DM'd ever lasted eleven hours. I'm not even joking. Um, Heather, our mutual friend, Heather, uh, who we play with was, I believe she was in that game. Um, And, and I, I realized like four hours into it. I'm like, we're not going to get anywhere near the end of this story. And all the players were like, no, 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 no. Like, like you're doing a good job. We really want to see what happens. And for me, that was like, I fed off that. I was like, oh, you want me to talk more? Okay. I understand. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Completely understand. Yeah. Oh, you um, want me to narrate the whole thing? Great. <laughs> right. Sure. Okay. Well, sit tight until midnight because that's what's happened. So literally we played until midnight. And um, yeah, it, it was uh, wonderful. And then naturally from there, I was like, well, I guess I should just start a homebrew campaign and then within a month i had an idea for a homebrew campaign and then i decided very wisely that oh i mean i'm only dming one campaign why don't i start a second one that takes place in the same world as the first one but a thousand years apart and lo and behold i asked anna if she would like to join and uh she I did. am forever grateful for that decision that you You're made welcome. to to increase your <laughs> to increase <laughs> your load up upon yourself and make life much much harder for yourself. But right, exactly. I'm having a great time. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's sort of how I how we got into D and D. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's look at the other our, our, our other halves. I will admit, 
I don't consider myself to be the most enthused lawyer. I mean, if I could find a career like doing something on like like they do on Critical Role or Dimension Twenty, um, and like being a D and D player full time, I would, or like contributing to D and D full time, I totally would. But alas, I am a lawyer. So yeah, just briefly, I guess like I've kind of dabbled in a little bit of everything. And I think it's mostly because I've just found a lot of dissatisfaction at my job. And I always try to like, I'm like, maybe this new job will be better. And I'm like, no, I really just don't like being a lawyer all that much. <laughs> um, I loved law school. Law school I thought was awesome, even though it was super stressful. Uh, but the practice of law, not so much. So I started... I was a law clerk for a while working at um, a state district court. Then I did criminal appeals for the public defender's office, which was awesome, but super boring. Then I worked for the ACLU for a while, which was really cool, but also when Trump got elected, super stressful. Um, <laughs> and it just ended up turning out not to be not what I I wanted in in a career. Then I went to the obvious next choice to tax law um, and got into administrative law from there. And then that sort of uh, I, I practice administrative law now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, my journey is not that exciting. I, I went to law school also loved law school. I will be <laughs> honest, except for the whole, like tests. going, going to classes and, and tests and the bar <laughs> exam. <laughs> Wait, that's the whole thing. Oh shoot. No, see, I liked uh, class. I liked classes. <laughs> and sorry. Anyway, continue. Um, I, I, I guess I liked class. Um, but yeah, after I graduated and, and thank God passed the bar exam, <laughs> I was in private practice for all of six months before I was like, meh, nah. And then I went into government work and public service. And now, you know, I'm a attorney for, for the state and gosh, I really enjoy it. I especially enjoy that Joe and I get to work together. We do. So that's how we that's met. super yeah. fun. Yes. Um, although I had heard of you from like multiple sources, okay, many, well, many sources. This is true. So you interned where I did criminal appeals before I got there, I think. Um, or right maybe after was, you left. Oh, actually. right after I left. I heard Anna was coming. I was like, get the, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there was that mass exodus. Okay. It all adds up now. <laughs> um, no, I. that's right. I remember. Yeah. And like, I mean, that was such a great office and. Uh, kudos to all the public defenders out there. Um, you guys rock. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I uh, I got to meet Anna through our jobs now, and um, and that's how I dragooned her into playing D anD D for the betterment of your life. of the world. So you're welcome. Oh, oh yeah, my life. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I accept payments in baked goods. Um, more baked goods than you've already given me. <laughs> oh, I had the naan you made me last night. Oh, how was it? It was fucking amazing. Anna made me like yes. naan dough. And uh, like, no, no, that's not what we called them. What did we call I made them? You, I made you naan balls. Naan balls. Naan balls. <laughs> she made me her naan balls. Um, and they were the naniest balls I've ever had. Um that's just a brief aside to say that we both also love baking Baking. and i'm going going to get anna to watch all the great british baking show so that she can host a great british baking show role-playing game a la what they did on i forget the name of the channel but brennan lee mulligan dm'd it for um for a youtube show i should know the name of it but i don't so we'll put it somewhere it's really funny anyway and i, okay. I watched that um but i haven't watched sufficient great british baking show to right. be able to do that but that looked so fun so fun i think I that should be absolutely down yeah to do and, that and the rules are like like i mean they use like a modified verse it's like you have three stats and the goal is to roll below the number instead of above it um and uh and that's like all your checks are just made with those three stats and it's really based on role playing and it was fucking hilarious um so yeah and i think that should be your first foray into dming that sounds great that seems so like low maintenance and like low effort that sounds right up my alley <laughs> <laughs> all right well 
Do you think we should get into it? Should we should we don don the robe, don the 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 coif? What is it? Don the Wait. Joe, you're not already in your robe? I have the wig on and everything. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you're, get you're, on board. <laughs> I actually Anna does have a powdered wig on right now. <laughs> That's just because she likes wigs. That's just what I wear on a regular basis. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't even my judge. It's because you're. It's because you're Canadian. So <laughs> that's right. They, they actually they do. do yes, <laughs> and also their Supreme Court dresses up like Santa Claus. You should Google it. What? Yeah, <laughs> you like, should Google it. Just for Christmas? No, no. Like they're like judiciary robes are like red and white oh 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 yes oh i thought you meant they literally dressed up as santa for the holidays and i was like that's so cool but no they all look like like mr and mrs clauses like the clauses that's That's what they look amazing that's amazing okay let's uh let's dive in let's do it All rise for the Honorable Justice Anna and me, Justice Joe. Court is now in session. Um, all right. So we're going to discuss our very first question. Yeah. Um, and also for future episodes, we need to get somebody to be the bailiff so that the justice doesn't all rise himself. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. It's like everyone rise for me. For me. For me. Um Hey, if you would like to be a bailiff, if you're famous and you would like to be a bailiff, one, why are you listening to this podcast if you're famous? But two, let us know and you could be our bailiff. Um, Okay, so our first question comes to us from the lovely, not me, but other Joe, uh, who is a player in one of my campaigns uh, and plays with Anna. Um, That's right. He DM'd his very first one shot for us, a Halloween one shot, dressed as Matt Mercer from Critical Role, which was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> um, uh, so, okay, so here's is Joe's question. And the way we'll do this, uh, it, it'll kind of change depending on who we have as a guest. Um, we'll have a guest justice um, every now and then. Uh, if it's a if it's a big issue that there's a lot of controversy over, we may even have oral arguments from counsel. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll proceed as it is. But for now, uh, we're just going to discuss this one, and then we'll we'll have a ruling. So, uh, should a natural twenty have an effect on skill checks, i.e., a critical success of some sort? Justice Anna, would you like to opine first? Yes, I don't think that it's going to be a popular opinion. I don't I don't think it should be a critical success. If there is the possibility to get above a 20, which there is, right? Because mm-hmm. you you get all your little modifiers. I don't think I know that when we do <laughs> attack rolls, it's like a crit and you get to double your damage, and 20s are so special. But it is equal probability, you guys, that you roll a 20 than that you roll any other number. What is this nonsense? What is this math you speak of? Woman, (laughs) burn you at the stake. That's right. I am a witch because I understand basics about probability. And I would probably float in water or whatever they did back in Salem. <laughs> That's not what they would. What did they? They used to like dunk people in freezing water. And if you if you lived, you were a witch. But if you died, then you weren't a witch, and they were wrong. And you're just oh dead. well. <laughs> That's literally lost it. another one. <laughs> yep. So lots of women died. It was great. So um, uh, no, I agree with you fully, actually. Um, so uh, there are different thoughts of this and i'm not familiar you know as we stated we're not we haven't played that long i haven't played earlier editions fifth edition was my introduction to DD. so with fifth edition um i don't believe that a natural one or a natural 20 has any special property aside from uh whether you hit or miss on an attack and then if you get a natural 20 you obviously you crit um but it, it is sort of made so that that when it comes to saving throws or ability checks, like a natural 20 really isn't meant to be necessarily uh, that's, that's some 
that the thing you're trying to do will occur, right? So if you're attacking, obviously, if you're trying to hit, then you're going to hit on a nat 20. But if you're, if all you're doing, uh, so the example, I think that that was thrown around by other DMs who've talked about this is, uh, so if you're trying to convince the king of, of the land to, to, to give up his castle and give it to the adventuring party, and you roll a nat one, uh, nat twenty on your persuasion check. That it would be absurd to then say, "Yeah, okay, you guys get this kingdom. It's Peace. yours. It's yours. <laughs> Goodbye." And he just like <laughs> saunters off the stage. Um, that doesn't make sense. So you want the game. You want there to be narrative, you know, sense being made while you are playing. So maybe. Um, what will happen instead is that the king will like laugh it off and not take offense to that demand, and, and and instead of like throwing you in an oubliette uh, to to waste away into ashes, uh, you they might he might invite you to uh, a dinner and become an ally of the party and maybe give the party like a an estate in the city for them to live in or something like that. Like that is a way to honor you know, a nat 20 in, a, in an interesting way in that situation. But obviously what the players are trying to do can't happen. Right. Exactly. Yes. So I, I'm not a DM. I have never been a DM, but I imagine that there, I mean, the whole point of it is that you're, you're putting together a narrative for your players. Right. Mm -hmm. And Nat 20s are very exciting when I get them, no matter what <laughs> random check it is for. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. Like, it has to make narrative sense. And I, I just think that if, A, there are numbers you can get that are higher than 20, and, B, it's something like an ability check where it's like, okay, you rolled a 20 on a history check. Like, what does that mean? You get to now know the history of everything? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> that would be insane. Um, I, I do think that, you know, certain DMs probably give you more or less than you think a 20 deserves. Right. I have felt that way about Joe, who is my DM. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're not yeah. telling me enough. I rolled a 17. That's a good number, Joe. Um, but. Well, it's funny because so the game has, um, I believe it's in the, the Dungeon Master's Guide, has like suggested tables of, uh, of success or failure. So like a 10 is supposed to be like, a, you know, a relatively easy success. A 15 is like a moderate success. A 20 is a difficult success. A 25 is like a... a a near impossibility and a 30 is like basically impossible. Um, but if you've played the game to any degree or have watched the game played, you can get above a 30, Like right? It's not impossible. If you're a rogue that has expertise and stealth and your dexterity is 20, like you're going to be rolling thirties with some frequency. Most like more than half the time, you're probably going to be rolling above a 25 at least. Um, in the same token, you could uh, well. So, if, if this persuasion check uh, is supposed to be near impossible, so you you go to this king you've never met before, and uh, or this king who maybe doesn't have the best opinion of you, and you roll a nat twenty, but your persuasion modifier is a plus four, and the DM has set the DC for whatever you're trying to do at a twenty five. Well, guess what? You might have got a nat twenty, but with your modifier, you still only got a twenty four. So. If I were DMing, I would not give that to the player. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, what the DM should keep in mind is have fun. So like I, yes. I, I played in a campaign um, where uh, with a, really great guys, um, the DM was a friend of mine um, uh, and he introduced this. So it was Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is this enormous dungeon crawl. Uh, so he introduced at the first session roll tables. So if you rolled a nat one, then you rolled the D20 a second time to determine what fate you suffered. Maybe you have a permanent injury that reduces your HP by a certain amount. Um, maybe your armor is permanently reduced by one AC point or something like that. Like until you get it repaired, like you would suffer some 
some dramatic um, failure. And that, that gives me a lot of anxiety because I roll ones so often. Right, right. <laughs> um, and and on the opposite end, uh, a, a, a 20 was uh, something like awesome would happen. Like maybe in, and this was really limited to like attacks, which again, is not necessarily in this question. But I think it shows why trying to to go outside of of the rules and, and specifically try and suggest that a nat 20 or a nat one should be this like really pivotal thing can actually really backfire in negative ways. Um, uh, so like if you rolled nat 20, maybe your damage would be tripled or whatever. So first session, we're going through this dungeon, um, really harrying combat, like not easy. I was playing a life cleric. So I was kind of like the healer of the group um, our barbarian runs down a hallway and without spoiling it, something happens and um, uh, a creature attacks this barbarian, gets a nat 20. So uh, the roll table says roll a 20 again. So the DM rolled again. It was a second nat 20. Oh, no. <laughs> On the roll table, it said roll the d20 again. If you get another 20, then your target instantly dies. No saving throws. And so he rolled again, and I kid you not, he rolled a nat 20. He rolled it on the table for everyone to see. It was a nat 20. Um, so our barbarian, who Died. I... Yeah, our, bar- our barbarian was just instantly killed by one hit. And we were all like... I, at least, was like, that doesn't make sense. And it was very, like, deflating as a player to be like... but. But the rules and the uh, and the uh, and there was just one hit. And uh, yeah, so all of that is to say y- you don't really have to go out of your way to add that much to the game. If you roll an at 20 on an ability check, the DM be, you know, honor it to the extent that it makes sense to honor it. Yeah. Um, if it's a, if it's something where you're, lo- where you're looking for a role for lore, like on a history check, then the player might get the entire history of whatever it is that they are researching. Um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, but also re- like to the extent that it doesn't spoil future things, right? Exactly. Like, ag- again, exactly. I, I just think that this is one of those circumstances where you just have to respect DM discretion. Right. And trust that if they're a good DM, like I know mine is, oh, um, aw, um, that, you know, he will, he or she will like tell the players what they need to know, give you extra when you roll well and, mm. and like keep you in the game and keep the narrative going. Yeah. I, that's yes. That's all you can expect. Yeah. No, I think, um, if anyone watches Dimension 20, uh, of course, the famous Brennan Lee Mulligan, excellent dungeon master. Um, I think he does such a good job. And this, he has an improv background and uh, he played D&D like growing up. So like he has all this wealth of knowledge plus this like all this experience. He does such a good job of honoring the, the roles in that way. If you roll in that one, like your character doesn't necessarily suffer something bad to them but like uh for example there was <laughs> there was one character in in uh fantasy high which was their first campaign uh and the character was always searching for his dad so he was always asking npcs if they were his dad and it was hilarious <laughs> but uh so brennan was like make a you know make an inside check um so he does and he gets in that one and brennan says you are pretty sure this guy is your dad like like <laughs> And like, 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 like have fun with it. I, I, I tend to run pretty serious campaigns um, in terms of like the tone is more serious, but like funny shit will happen on a nat one and a nat 20 all the time. Yes. Cause I, cause like, cause at the end of the day, this is a game. I'm surprised that you say you run a serious campaign. I mean, we, I try we to stay run. In, we stay in it. I know that like we do, we do a pretty good job of like really trying to be in the game but we are constantly laughing like, well but good <laughs> but that's good i mean and like i i fully expect that as the game continues there might be moments where it's the complete opposite and everyone is solemn and someone cries and like i've been in sessions like that and it's so powerful and awesome um when it happens organically but yeah especially because you know you're, you guys are still early on in that campaign but um 
Yeah. So, okay, uh, Justice Anna, your ruling is so. The question again: Should a should a critical success on a ability check have some significant effect in game? And uh, my ruling is no, it should not, and and proper deference should be paid to the DM. Wonderful, I concur. Um, uh, the the <laughs> wait wait wait. So it's a majority opinion. It's been so long since I've yes. read the Supreme Court. Decision. You're joining me in my majority opinion. Yeah, I'm I'm con- no, I'm not. I'm concurring. I'm joining you and concurring and saying that honor the game, honor you know. Uh, uh, go with what is fun and narratively makes sense for your players. So that's my concurrence. And the writ is, uh, do you do something with the writ of cert once it's, do you send it back down? We issue procedendo and (laughs) (laughs) there's, there is no further appeal. We're the ultimate law of the land. Uh, Right. Too bad for you. We are both the court, the only court of general jurisdiction and the final court of resolution. <laughs> so sucks if you lose here. DM's choices are affirmed. <laughs> yeah, DM's choices <laughs> are affirmed. Um, wonderful. That was so fun. That okay, was. I'm excited. Yeah, uh, we will more than likely have Joe join us on uh, a future episode because he is a fellow D and D nerd, and it would be so much fun to um, help us rule on these on these on these salient and important matters. And he's um, also a, a, like a lawyer nerd too. So yeah. he, I'm sure he'll have a lot to, um, what is the word I'm searching Contribute? For? Contribute. <laughs> That's the word. Nah. I'm a lawyer, everybody. <laughs> um, uh, amazing. Okay. So uh, now let's sort of take it in a little bit different direction. We're also going to be talking about, just issues that come up in D&D. Maybe this isn't so much a, a you know, something that needs to be officially ruled on by the panel of mm-hmm. justices, but um, it's just an issue in D&D we can discuss. So uh, Anna a and judicial I... Judicial editorial. Exactly. What every judge should do, <laughs> have judici- <laughs> judicial editorials. Um, just kidding. They shouldn't. <laughs> that's a joke. Yeah, that's a joke. That's um, bad. Uh, so... Um, one issue that we wanted to discuss was, so this summer, obviously for many reasons, summer of 2020 was difficult for a lot of people and, um, momentous for a lot of reasons, um, namely the protests following George Floyd's murder and the, the outpouring of, of voices and support and, and, and discussions about race in the United States and, what that means for our judicial system, our criminal justice system, uh, how we police communities. Um, and something that D&D, I wasn't aware of this, but something D&D had been criticized for for a while was linking like positive and negative attribute scores to certain races in D&D, which is a whole other issue of why they're called races in, in D&D. Um, so your your orc, for example, might have a negative two to intelligence, but a plus two to strength. So orcs are generally viewed as really big and really dumb. Um, the game seemed to suggest that, you know, certain races had these inherent, like some were inherently inferior to others mentally or something like that. Right. It was, I mean, it's been a perpetuation of stereotypes, essentially. Right. Right. Like that's what we're... That's what it boils down to, right. and that these bar- "quote unquote" barbaric races or or more um, primitive. primitive, there you go, uh, yes. races were therefore dumber, um, and yeah. So we wanted to kind of talk about that. So uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast recognized this formally, which I think was the first time they really did so, and in their latest. Uh, uh, content book uh tasha's cauldron of everything which dropped in november of 2020 they actually added some rules towards the beginning of the book that address how you can go about modifying some of these these rules about certain races and this you know the scores or abilities they start with to to allow players to have a bit more flexibility so that you can have an orc who is you know an effective wizard um or or something of that nature so, yeah, we kind of wanted to talk about that. 
yeah, I, I think it's a, a very important question to ask. I think that a lot of people may think that, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is, is a game and Mm -hmm. maybe that's where it should stay. And all, uh, all the attributes to certain races in the book are nothing more than just like a categorization to help people make decisions about what race they want to play in the universe of the game. But I think if this year has taught us anything, then it's taught us we constantly need to think bigger. We constantly need to be thinking about Mm -hmm. what is the effect of what we're putting out into the world. And I mean, it's the truth that a lot of teenagers young kids play D and D right. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the game perpetuating? Right. If, uh, right. in a game that is so, that does in so many ways, a wonderful job at being inclusive and tries yes. to like, I mean, the book talks about, I was so shocked when I first picked up the player's handbook and it talked about characters having different sexual orientations, different genders, um, who could identify as, as a man, a woman or neither or something in between or something outside. I was like, holy crap, like a player's handbook is addressing queer issues in Dungeons and Dragons and affirming that I, as a, you know, a queer person playing this game can have like I belong in this world that can, that we can create. And there isn't some, you know, inherent suggestion that like the, my character needs to be straight. Like, I, like, like, which is normally the suggestion in video games. Um, right. So uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree that in order for this game to truly be an actual safe place for all people, especially people of color, then it needs to do like the people creating the game need to like put their money where their mouth is and do their part and actually sort of address some of these issues. Um, That being said, as a DM, I, I am very flexible when it comes to character creation. So if you want to be an orc that borrows stats from a different class, like, or from a different uh, race, like, yeah, like let's talk about it. Let's find out what is balanced and what makes sense. Like, I'm very open to that. And I even have a standard homebrew rule that I use that lets you move at least one ability point um, to any other ability score for any race. Um, I mean, I guess we could also talk about the fact that like we call them races when in reality, right. They're not. <laughs> um, I mean, they're species. Right, yeah. Species presumably. Yeah. And then like within that you have like, okay, high elves and wood elves and drow. Okay. Maybe those are races among, among the 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 species of elf but then of course the the dark-skinned drow is viewed as like evil historically is evil in dnd right. lore and it's like okay well that's perpetuating a harmful stereotype <laughs> i i also think that like one of the big big draws towards dnd is the fact that you have so much freedom mm-hmm. with who you're playing right like that's the whole point of it you get to create an entire person, like an entire entity. And so being forced to tie any part of that entity to something that's like somebody made up years ago and put in a book about, you know, this is how smart they can be. This is how wise they can be. This is the, this is how strong they must be. That just seems insane. Um, It seems restrictive in a game that is anything but restrictive exactly yeah no i totally agree so this sort of leads into another point that you had mentioned before we started recording um doing character accents uh and this is sort of tangential to the point but i think it's important to discuss as well uh so i'm curious like what you wanted to or like what your thoughts were on doing accents so Obviously, you don't know because I'm just a voice on your phone, probably, or something. But I'm Indian. <gasps> um, what? And, oh, my God. I know. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, obviously, uh, as an Indian person living in, in Canada and America, the Indian accent mm-hmm. has been the butt of many jokes, but has also, like, if we're going to talk about traits associated with race (laughs) like india's got like a freaking laundry list right (laughs) so 
Um, Joe very kindly asked me, um, you know, what I thought about him doing an Indian accent for some of the characters that he plays as a DM um, in the campaign that I am in with him. And uh, I honestly, like, I don't have a problem with people doing accents. I, as you know, I do accents. <laughs> as my, I do terrible no, accents, but I do glorious. accents. They're glorious. <laughs> um, and, well, I mean, one of my characters is a bard that's dressed like a Scotsman, but has an <laughs> Irish accent, okay? And that offends, like, should offend so many of you, but offends no one in our campaign because it's an entirely different universe, right? Mm-hmm. So if I want to say I'm a dragonborn that wears a kilt but talks with an Irish accent, then that's what you believe because that's the character I've created for myself. So I have absolutely no issue with people taking on Indian accents or people taking on accents as long as they're not as long as it's not freaking a poo like that's all I ask of the world you know like don't just be a character you created to play a stereotype and you think that you're being tongue-in-cheek kind of yucking it up at being able to get away with essentially making fun of what people have been doing for years which here's some news like is really offensive (laughs) so um yeah Yeah. so like if you play an an indian character and you don't have him like running a freaking convenience store (laughs) i have no problem with this welcome to the quickie cart (laughs) (laughs) sorry that was oh my god no that's hilarious like that's my point exactly but but instead have don't be a cliche like make make something new of it use it Indian accents are so fun to do. <laughs> Mispronouncing certain words are amazing, but mm-hmm. <laughs> just like don't make a huge joke out of it. Yeah, don't be offensive. Use the accent and yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't be offensive. Yeah, th- so this was discussed on a um, uh, an Adventuring Academy Academy episode with Brennan Lee Mulligan and Matt Mercer, uh, doing accents and and w- at what point do they become offensive? I think, you know, like the reason I asked Anna why, you know, like, would you be offended by this is because I wanted to make sure like that you knew I wasn't coming from a place of trying to make fun of this, but rather my world is a diverse one. I want to have I don't want every character to have a British accent or or, you know. Uh, or my other one that I can do is Russian, which Scottish <laughs> becomes Russian. Um, but but on that episode of the Adventuring Academy, they they were talking about how um, I think the writer had said, well, sometimes you know, like I'll, I'll always use a Russian accent for like the villains, and it's like, well, why, right? Yeah, like what's up with that? Right, right. Like like why you don't have to do that? And in fact, one of my favorite characters, um, he's a dwarf named Brovdir. And he has a Russian slash Eastern European accent. And he's like the most happy-go-lucky paladin. Uh, 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 He's like lawful. Well, I don't know if he's lawful good. I think he's like, yeah, maybe he's lawful good. I don't remember. Um, But he's like happy-go-lucky. He loves everyone. He just like whatever. And he has a Russian accent. To me, Russian doesn't equal evil. Although Putin sucks, but um, <laughs> but what about shirtless Putin on a horse? I mean, does he also suck? He still sucks. Yes, is the answer. Um, uh, now shirtless Nalvani. Now there's we haven't seen it yet, but um, so yeah, I I just don't fall into making fun of the accent. Um, uh, or like, you know, like my uh, rogue, who is in the other campaign with Anna's Dragonborn character, um, she has a southern, like a southern drawl accent, kind of like a Jezebel, that she talks like this. But she's... In- kind of like a Jezebel? She, she, that's, she is. That is this character. Yes. <laughs> um, but she's a, a rogue who also is like very smart and has a background in like engineering and, and inventing things. Um, so right. she's not like, you know, she's not uneducated or I don't know what other stereotypes you would attribute. She's not poor. She's not whatever, just because she has a Southern accent. Although I guess if we're putting Southern accents on a scale, the Jezebel would be like the upper class one. I'm thinking, 
I'm thinking of the shit druid. We just played it again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we just had an episode. That's what I was thinking of, of too. Game. When you were breaking down the like race within a se- within a species, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like there's there's uh, nature druids and star druids and, and shit, shit druids. <laughs> Our DM had a druid who lived in the sewers of Waterdeep. We're playing a yawning portal campaign, and um, he had this like Florida Gator accent, and uh, he was affectionately termed a shit druid because he lived in the sewer and uh yeah anyway uh and very kindly warned us when the new wave of shit was coming true. down told us to get the hell out of the sewer yeah. he cast a fourth <laughs> the shits are coming yeah he cast a fourth level shit wave um <laughs> yeah yeah no i i totally agree and i think uh I, you know another thing is talk to your players right like have an open conversation yeah. and say i i always encourage my players to do accents if if only for the fact that it makes it easier to determine when the, my player is asking me a question as versus the character asking my NPC a question. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know how many other Indian women there are playing Dungeons and Dragons. You're the only one. I, I might be. If there are others and you are listening, please, please tell me because I want, I, I'm so curious about how many other Indian women are out there playing Dungeons and Dragons. But... Um, Coming into a game like this, I think I would feel more awkward and more almost excluded if everyone at the table had just an American accent. Yeah. That's how I like. I appreciate the fact that even in Dungeons and Dragons, the universe is wide, you know, and like people speak differently and look differently and act differently and have different accents and come from like are immigrants in Dungeons and Dragons, right? right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm very appreciative of that. I've, I feel like it's so much easier for me to play and almost like feel even more accepted in the universe because of that. Right. So I, I, I also, um, I think would encourage people to, you know, step outside your comfort zone, try different accents, try different characters, um, but be respectful. That's it. Awesome. I agree. Well, I think this has been a fabulous first episode. It has. Um, not to not to pat ourselves on the but back. But I'm going to do it. But... I'm patting myself right now. <laughs> me too. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> there we go. Um, so we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear if there was a time where you, if you're a DM, where you and your player got into an argument, or if you're a player, you and your DM, or you and other players um, just, I don't know, had a little squabble over the rules and, and struggle to, to maybe come to a resolution. Um, there are some really nitty gritty ones and, uh, Anna and I, and potentially a guest are going to do our bestest job trying to resolve them. Um, so you can email us at raw and order D N D at gmail.com. That's D letter N D, you know we'll we'll have made it in podcasting when we have a Patreon, and a and a reason to have a Patreon other than to have a Patreon. Anna, Justice Anna, um, uh, Justice Joe, all rise as I don't know what happens at this point. Court is adjourned. There you go. I'm not a real lawyer. I'm a fake lawyer. <laughs> Anna's the real one. Um, yeah. Um, gavel on the table. Court is adjourned. See you next time.